Well, good morning, everybody. We are in Philippians chapter 4, if you turn there, Philippians chapter 4, and get your finger in Matthew chapter 6. So Philippians 4 and Matthew 6. Thank you guys for your prayers. I, I was sick on Monday, and I'm, I feel good now, but I still have that, like, residual cough. So I'll probably cough during the message. Don't be alarmed. But we are moving through the, the book of Philippians, and we'll be looking at verses today 4 through <clears throat> 9. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. The ushers will get you one. Anybody need one? All right, everybody's got their sword. I like it. Sweet. Pages, I can still hear them turning. Okay, if you're at Philippians 4, say amen. amen. Okay, let's begin the reading of verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Father, we thank you for the reminder not to worry, that you're large and in charge, and we just can cast all our cares at your feet. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today and encourage us to put our trust in you in such a way like never before that we have a tremendous peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding no matter what we're going through because we're trusting in you. So speak to us now by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Well, last week we started chapter 4 and we saw the Apostle Paul addressing two ladies who were at it, going at it. There was division in the church. Now, these were two wonderful, beautiful women who were saints, saints of God who served side by side with the Apostle Paul. He loved them both dearly. But something happened between them where it was now causing division. And Paul wanted it settled. And so you could imagine Epaphroditus getting up in front of the church and reading this letter, and everybody's so excited. And then he comes to uh, Eudea and Suntuke and tells them to be of the same mind in the Lord and just kind of rocks their world. God wants unity in the body of Christ. God wants us to work out our problems. Paul was first talking to the whole church when we've looked at this letter. Then he moves to these two women, and now he's going to speak to us individually. And he's speaking to our hearts today saying, solve your problems. Solve your issues with other people. Bring about healing. 
Don't write people off. We're Christians. That's what identifies us as Christians is we work out our troubles. Because most of the times our troubles were caused by something that really wasn't worth arguing about. And maybe necessary, nobody's right, nobody's wrong, it's just difference of opinions. And how many Christians have divided over just differences of opinions? And Paul was concerned that if this wasn't settled, that it would cause a division in the church. And we've seen stuff like that happen in the past. So he encourages others to come alongside Iodia and Sintuke and to help them to fix this situation. Now, the important thing for all of us to, to understand is that God wants us to humble ourselves. You may be right when it comes to the disagreement. You may be so right you're dead right that you ruin a relationship to prove you're right. And so what we're going to be looking at today is something that's very unique in verse 5 where God's going to be asking us to take a higher road. You don't always have to be right. You don't always have to prove you're right. You may be just a difference of opinion, but it's the more mature Christian that will reach out to fix a situation between another brother or another sister. It's the more mature Christian that will humble themselves at the sake of bringing healing. That's what defines us. And, and what's so important for us to understand is if you won't forgive and you won't restore and you won't reconcile, why should God do that to you? How much has God forgiven you? Oh, my goodness. For us to pick and choose who we're going to forgive. And God doesn't... He, he, he just doesn't want the forgiveness, but he wants the two to be unified again. When people see two Christians have a problem and come back together, it's a message to the unbelievers that we work out our problems. It's a message to your children that we work out our problems. Because to the world, if you got somebody who's messed with you, you clip them, you cut them out of your life, you put up a wall. You don't ever talk to them again. That's what defines us as Christians is that we work the things out because we're family. How could you not talk to somebody anymore when you're going to spend eternity with them? And so God encourages us to work out all our problems, even the little problems, guys. Even the little problems. Now he speaks to us individually. He spoke to the whole church as we've been going through these letter, this letter. He spoke to the two ladies last week. Now he speaks to us individually, and he tells us to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. That's good stuff. Don't forget that. I've entitled today's message, Don't Worry, Be Happy. Sounds like a song, doesn't it? I was going to put, Don't Worry, Be Blessed, but, you know, blessed actually means happy. When you read... Um, the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, chapter 5. Blessed be the poor in spirit. It's happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are the meek. Happy are those that hunger and thirst. Happy are those of pure heart. Happy are the peacemakers. 
God doesn't want us to worry. But we do, don't we? That was a great place for an amen. You missed that opportunity. You know, all through the scripture, it was funny because I was studying all week and I was worried about what I was going to say and I was worried I was going to forget some of the things I wanted to say and I was worried that, you know, Lord, I hope you show up with me. You know, and then I find myself worrying. And isn't it funny how we worry over the stupidest things? And none of us are free from worry. But i got to say, I'm getting better at it. When I start to worry, I'm, I'm getting better at just giving it to God and say, Lord, it's your problem now. And is anything too big for him? <coughs> Excuse me. But it doesn't change <clears throat> the fact that I still worry. If you got kids, you worry. I used to think, boy, when my kids are all grown up and out of the house, then I don't have to worry about them anymore. Now I'm worried about them, and I'm worried about their kids. And God speaks to us, and he says, listen, we're all going to go through things, and you're going to find yourself worrying, but he's going to say, give it to me. I will take care of it. I will handle it. Put your trust in and me. Stop looking at your circumstances and get your eyes back on him. When Peter got out of the boat and walked on water, he did well when he had his eyes on the Lord. It's when he took his eyes off the Lord and looked at the circumstances of the world that he began to sink. And that's what happens to us. Get your eyes on Jesus, get your eyes off your circumstance. It says rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. He's not saying rejoice in your circumstance. Rejoice in the Lord. Why? Because I won't have to deal with this stuff much longer. But you don't know what I'm going through. I know who I believe in and that he's able to keep that which I've committed. See, you got to like you got to get your eyes back on him always or this world will tear you down. When you're going through it, Look at Jesus. Remember that you're born again. Remember you have eternal life. Remember one day there'll be no more pain, no more sickness, no more suffering, no more sorrow, no more tears. Just Jesus. And how much do we need to be doing that consciously throughout the weeks now? I mean, this is a nutty world. It's getting crazier and crazier. You think it can't get any crazier, and then somebody else blows your mind and tops crazy. And i got to keep putting my eyes on Jesus. Because that's where my joy is. The joy of the Lord is my strength. He's my joy. He's my refuge. He's my everything. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. He's my hope. He's my, my everything. So don't worry. Be happy. You know, it really messes with unbelievers when they know you're going through something heavy, heavy and you're all happy and joyful. It's like, dude, you're messed up. I got Jesus. I don't have to deal with this much longer. It's all coming to a close. I have Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord, not in your circumstance. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. You remember when Jesus sent out the 70? He gave them all power. Now, it's interesting because in the book of Acts, 
when it talks about the power that we're going to receive from the Father, the power and the promise of the Father, it's dudamis, it's dynamite. It's something, it's where they get the word dynamite. It's, it's a power that's released to us at God's perfect timing to do what we, he needs us to do. But when he sent the 70 out, the, po- the word power there is exousia in the Greek. And that's like all power. I mean, that's like, you know, that's the power we all wish we had. But he gave it to the 70 to go out to heal people, to cast out demons, and, and to pray over the sick. They came back so jacked up and on fire because they were like, Lord, it was amazing. You could have seen what was going on. Even the devils were subject to us. And you know what the Lord said to him? He said, don't rejoice that the demons were subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You know, last week we, we looked at Paul encouraging these ladies and those that come alongside to heal the relationship. And then he puts out there that their names were written in the book of life. So you say to say, well, why do I got to fix this problem with that person? That person's a jerk because your name's written in the book of life. Well, why do I have to fix that? Why do I have to deal with it? Because your name is written in the book of life. You're a child of God. It's not about you. It's not about them. It's all about Jesus. And Jesus has given all of us the ministry of reconciliation to make sure that we are always extending that hand of grace, whether we were in the wrong, whether we were in the right. We keep reaching out to heal that situation. It's important for us to do those things. In verse 5, he says this, Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Wow. I could just stay on that verse. all, And maybe I will. I don't know. It's the time. Let your gentleness. Now, that's an interesting word there. In verse 5, Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. The word gentleness, the word in the Greek is probably one of the toughest words to put into English. Now, I don't know what version of the Bible you got, um, but I think all these different versions have different words for that. Um, Whether you got a KGV or an NKGV, an ESV, an NASB, an NIV, an NLMNOP, whatever you got. Some, like I think the King James says, let your moderation be known. The New King James says gentleness. The word means graciousness. It means moderation. It means forbearance. It means gentle spirit. It means a reasonableness. It means a fairness. Why are we to fix our problems? Because there is a fairness about you. There is a graciousness about you. There's a moderation about you. There's a gentleness about you. Why do we need to fix our relationships? Because the Lord is at hand. You want to have him come find you in an argument with somebody in the church? Settle your problems. Let your gentleness be known to man. What does that mean? That means that everybody should know that you are more concerned with others than yourself. 
everyone needs to know that you, if there's a situation or a problem, that you're going to be more focused on the other person than yourself, that you're going to be gentle. And even if they're wrong, you're going to come with a gentleness. Oh, gosh, aren't we are good at beating people up with the Word of God, aren't we? Have you, anybody ever used the Word of God to their advantage? Just one? One honest guy? The rest of you are liars? But when you know the truth, and the truth has set you free, you, there's a graciousness about you that doesn't need to prove that you're right. That you're more concerned with healing the situation than anything else. And who was the greatest example of that? Guess who? Jesus! See, the idea to have grace versus justice. You want ju we all want justice. Somebody wrongs us, Lord, get them. And the Lord will sometimes even say to you, you're doing the same thing. I know, I know, but I'm trying. But get them. And God is telling us there in that verse to have grace versus justice. To be conducting ourselves more just than justice. And Jesus was the perfect example of that Remember the woman caught in adultery? Was that a setup or what? Come on. These guys dragged this woman who was caught in the very act of adultery in front of Jesus. I don't know if she's naked, partially dressed or whatever. Throws her down and, and says, Moses in the law says she should be put to death. She was caught in adultery. What do you say? They were trying to trap him. It was a setup. Come on. Think about it. They caught her in the very act of adultery. When you caught someone in the very act of adultery, they stoned the man and the woman. My question is, where's the guy? Caught him in the very act. Where's the guy? And here's my other question for the Pharisees. Why were you watching? No doubt gave some guy, a friend of theirs, money to hook up with this lady, the catcher in the act, to watch, then pull her apart, drag her and throw her down in front of Jesus. It's a trap. Because if Jesus says, let her go, they will say, oh, he doesn't believe in the law and Moses. And if he says, stone her, then, then they'll, they'll point a finger and say, oh, there goes that whole grace thing he's talking about. So what does he do? Isn't it funny when you're trying to outsmart God? Or maybe inform God of something he might not know? I, I've done that. You know, he tells you to do something, you're like, Lord, you, you sure about that? So he, what's he do? He stoops down, and he starts writing in the dirt. And I think he was writing upside down because he's God. So they could read it. And it says that, Everyone from the oldest first to the youngest walked away because what did he say to him? He said, he without sin cast the first stone. And then the oldest to the youngest, oldest first left. Why did the oldest first leave? Because they're bigger sinners. If you're in here today, you're 60, 70, you're, you're a bigger sinner than these young kids. Why? Because you got more time to do it. Right? I got way more sin than these young kids because I've had a longer time to blow it. 
And I think he's just writing their sin, writing their names. And boy, everybody's dropping their stones like, whoo. Right? And they all leave, and he looks at the woman, and he says, where are your accusers? And I, I think she said it like this. Um, I don't have any. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now listen, he wasn't saying go and sin no more in the sense like we're sinners. Hello. What he was saying was go and don't be in this lifestyle anymore. Doesn't mention anything about repentance, but he saw something in her heart. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. Something to happen in the heart. And he said, go. And don't, don't do this anymore. He exercised being just more than justice. Why should we have grace for others? Because God's given you so much grace. Don't get puffed up with your pride and say, I'm not forgiving that person and blah, blah, blah. Get it, get it off your chest. Get over it. Forgive them. Reach out. Even if they don't reach back, you made the effort and God will lift that burden so every time you see him, you don't go, Ugh. Don't you do that? You relive it? Is that just me? There's it. Oh, gosh, there they are. Right? God doesn't want that. We need to show grace because he showed us so much grace. Why should we have grace? Because the Lord is at hand. The Lord could come at any moment. Paul believed the Lord could come at any moment. Here's a verse that proves that. Now, I don't know if you're a post-tribber. I'm a pre-tribulation saint. I believe the rapture is going to happen before the tribulation. But I understand there's people out there that are post-trib, mid-trib, three-quarter trib, two-thirds trib. There's all kinds of new ones now. Here's the thing I want to say to you. If that's your view, you cannot say the Lord is at hand. Because you do not believe the Lord is at hand. Paul believed the Lord could come at any time. Peter believed the Lord could come at any time. The apostles believed and through the scriptures wrote down the Lord could come any moment and they lived with that anticipation of the Lord coming. And if we live like Jesus could come today, we would change. Even in Thessalonica, they believed the Lord could come at any moment. How do I know? First, first time Paul was there, he taught them everything. He taught him about the rapture, the tribulation, the Antichrist, and all the gnarly stuff. And then he had to send him a second letter because after he was there the first time, they all knew that he believed Jesus could come at any time. They believed it so much so they quit their jobs and were just standing around looking up every day. And Paul had to say, dude, get to work. Get busy. Be about the Father's business. You don't work, you don't eat. Hello? We're supposed to be about the Father's business till He comes, but if we live our lives like He's coming right now, we got a lot to do before He gets here because how do you want Him to find you? And in verse 6, we get to the worry part. Be anxious for nothing. In other words, stop worrying about everything. Now that is so easy to say and it's so hard to do. But I think you could get better and better at it if you just trust God. 
Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. What's the answer for worry? Starts with a P. Prayer. He gives it to us right there. Prayer, supplication, thanksgiving. Three things that should be incorporated in your prayer. Prayer is dialogue. Do you dialogue with God? Or do you just tell Him how it is? You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying that in a bad way. But sometimes we don't stop to listen. We talk, 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 and then just say, thank you, Lord. We love God. All that. I get all that. But you need to stop and listen. You say, well, God doesn't speak to me. Yeah, he does. Remember all that stuff you used to do? Now you come over and you get in contact with it. You're like, oh, gosh, get away from that. That's God speaking. Hello? When something pops up in the TV and, and, and you go, whoa, turn the channel. You didn't used to turn the channel. You turned it up. But now you turn the channel. That's God speaking. So prayer needs to be a dialogue. You need to pray. You need to, you, you need to talk to the Lord. Praise Him for who He is. Give thanks. And listen. Lord, speak. Supplication is making your requests. Lord, could you heal so-and-so? Lord, can you bring peace between these two women? Lord, can, can you do this, that? You know, and put all those, make your requests known, and at the end of it all, just thank them. Lord, you are so good. And Lord, here's all my ideas for the day, but please come in and mess up my plans. Lord, I, I may not get it the way I want, but I thank you ahead of time because you know what's best for me. And to finish up your prayer with, not my will, but your will be done. So how do we stop worrying? We go right to prayer. Be anxious for nothing. Because when we worry, listen to me carefully, and I'm not trying to be mean because I'm just as bad. But when we worry, it means we stop trusting God. Does he not say that his desires for you are good? Does he not say that I'll never leave you nor forsake you? Does he not say he cannot keep his eye off you? What am I worried about? You know, Harvard had a study and it said that uh, only 8% of what we worry about actually comes true. So what do we do? Oh, what's that 8%? How strong's that 8%? You know what that 8% is for? It's God trying to grow you in the grace and knowledge of Him. When we get into difficult situations, it's so we will rely on God and not on our own flesh. That we would put our trust in Him. Turn to Matthew 6. You have your finger in Matthew 6. It's called the Beatitudes. Let's look at uh, verse um, 25. This is great stuff. This is Jesus speaking. Matthew 6, verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, don't worry. Well, then I guess that's truth, right? Don't worry about your life. Oh, even better. 
Don't worry about what you'll eat, what you'll drink, nor about your body. Oh, boy, now we're getting a little, getting right down to it, aren't we? Aren't you worried about how you look? Aren't we, aren't we vain? I mean, how many of you just like reached in the closet with your eyes closed and said, whatever I pull out, I'm wearing? And you know what? We're always so worried about how we look, but you know what's so funny? Nobody cares. You know why they don't care how you look? Because they're just worried about how they look. They want you to look bad, so they look better next to you. He says, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, <coughs> what you're going to put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Oh, my goodness. You know, my office where I study is out back in the backyard, and it's open up to the whole yard, and I watch all those little birds come in. We've got so many different birds. I mean, you mow the lawn, you get the big white bird, right? They come in, they get the cockroaches and the centipedes, praise the Lord. And, um, but then we get like those, they're like minor birds, the Hawaiian minor bird. It's kind of like brownish. You know which one I'm talking about. They're annoying. They come into the yard. Then you got those little green and yellow like parakeets. And then you got those little brown and black parakeets. And then you got those little parakeets with little tuxedos on. And then you got the cardinals. I mean, I see all these, and I marvel at them. They just come in. They're all excited. They're not a care in the world. They just eat, and that's it. And find a spouse. That's it. And God uses them as an example. They neither sow nor reap or gather in the barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than them? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to your statue? Can you get taller by worrying? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the, glass, the grass of the field, if he closes that, which is today and, is, and tomorrow is then thrown into the oven, will he not more, more, much more clothe you Oh, you of little faith. Now, if, if God clothes his, clothes, I can't even say it, clothes nature, how much more would he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles seek, the unbelievers. For your heavenly Father knows that you, you need all these things. Here's the answer. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. See, that's the key. Here's our problem. We switched that verse backwards, didn't we? Seek, seek ye first the things you need, and when you've got some spare time, talk to God. He says, God already knows what you need. Hello, you don't even need to tell him. You don't even need to make your request known. That's how good he is. But he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all those things will be added unto you. 
That's why I always tell you guys, don't get out of bed until you pray. Oh, well, pastor, you know, I pray at night before I go to sleep. Well, maybe if you prayed in the morning, you wouldn't have to pray about all those things at night that you went through during the day. Pray before you get out of bed. Say, Lord, orchestrate my steps. Be a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Take over. Show me where you want me to go. I got some ideas, but I want to go where you want me to go. And so he says, don't worry. You know, worrying will destroy us. Worrying will make you sick physically. It's like when a, and I've seen this, when a mother finds out something happened to her child, he's in emergency, I've seen women just start throwing up. I'm not, I'm not blaming them for that. I'm just saying that's what worry does to us. And, and God wants you to bring your worries to him so it doesn't slowly destroy you. I'm even going to go so far to say that worrying is sin. Because we're saying that we don't trust God in what he's doing in our life. So, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Don't be shaken, but shake it off. Get over it. Stop carrying the baggage. Why are we dragging behind us the worries of the world? Paul would say, let go of the things that so easily beset me. Run the race, finish. Cut the baggage. Shake it off. Well, you don't know what they said to me. Shake it off. Well, you don't know how they treated me. Shake it off. It's destroying you. Shake it off. Let it go. You remember when Paul got, you know, they got in that shipwreck. Everybody thought they were going to die. He was going to Rome, right? And he gets in the shipwreck. Or actually, it was a heavy storm, and they all thought they were going to die. And, and Paul said to everyone, don't worry, you're not going to die. Stay in the boat. And then ultimately, they ended up hitting a rock and, and grounding by this island. And, uh, you know, Paul said, you're all going to be okay. And then, uh, they, so they go through a horrific storm. They go through a shipwreck. They paddle to this island. They're, the people welcomed them. They're gathering up sticks for the fire in the storm to bring some warmth. And Paul picks up a pile of sticks, and there's a viper in it. And the viper just bites them. That's sure death. And, and the people, instead of, oh, Paul, you okay? They, they're like, ooh, he must be a real sinner. He escaped the storm, but he's not going to escape death. Look, and they sat back to watch to see what would happen to him. Oh, my gosh. Someone's got a problem with you. They look at you. They think you're some kind of sinner. You get bit by a viper, and they pull up beach chairs to watch the action. How long do you think they got? I got 20 bucks, says five minutes, goner. You know what Paul did? He got bit. He just shook it off. Paul, you're about to die. No, I'm not. Jesus said I'm going to Rome. Bro, look what you're facing. So what? Jesus says I'm going to heaven. What? I don't know what you're going through right now, but whatever it is, get your eyes on Jesus. 
Yeah, but you know, I lost my job. Maybe he's got a better job for you. Well, I don't have a place to live. Maybe he's going to find you a better place to live. Well, I just got diagnosed with cancer. Cancer, what am I going to do? You're going to allow God to work in you and through you to reach the doctors and the nurses. He's got a plan. Yeah, but wonder if I die. Well, weren't you praying you want to go to heaven? How do you expect to get there? You got to die. You know, guys, I'm not downplaying cancer or a terminal disease, not at all, but I want to tell you how blessed I've been in my 20 years of pastoring to be able to be with so many people dying of cancer, even up to their last day, their last breath, and been so encouraged by them because of their faith in Jesus Christ and the joy that they never lost through the whole cancer thing and how they were sharing God with every doctor and nurse and person they came in contact with. And all they kept was their eyes on the prize because they knew where they were going. What should we do with our worries? Well, 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. That's a good one. Write that one down. 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. You got to worry? Woo! We got some fishermen in here. Whee! Just cast that thing over to Jesus. Because he cares for you. You know the problem, though, is? Is that when Jesus goes to pick it up, we go, reel that thing back in. That's what I do. You know what? I'm getting better. I give all my worries to Jesus quicker. I, I start to worry. I'm like, okay, all right, reel it in. Pull it in. It's not your deal. It's not your deal. You can't change. Stop worrying. You're not trusting. Go put it at Jesus' feet. And I go and I put it at Jesus' feet. But here's the problem I do and maybe you do too. Two hours later, I go pick it back up. Right? No, leave it there. Leave it there. In Psalm 61, Psalm 61 verse 1, David says, Hear my cry, O God. God hears your prayers. Hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer from the end of the earth. I will cry to you. Do you ever feel like that? That your problems are so overwhelming, you're like at the end of the earth, you're all by yourself, you're out in the middle of nowhere, you're in the wilderness, nobody hears you, nobody understands. Yeah. Hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer from the end of the earth. I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I man guy i tell you it's easy to tell people not to worry but i'm just as guilty but we got to reel it in for the sake of what god wants to do in your life in second corinthians 10 4 he tells us for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in god for the pulling down of strongholds casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of god bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Take that thought captive. Cast it to Him. Take it captive. Cast it to Him. Because listen, you're not wrestling against each other. You're not wrestling against flesh and blood. You're wrestling against principalities and powers and rulers and darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places. That's what He says you're, you're wrestling against. When two people have a difference... It's the enemy trying to blow those two people up, especially Christians. Come on. Take your thoughts captive. When I worry, I'm not trusting him. When we worry, we remove the word of God from our life. 
How do you stop worrying? It's not Facebook, it's book in face. First John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love. Thank you, Lord. But perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Wow. If you're fearing something, God's not in it. This is tough. I dealt with this stuff all week, so I didn't want you to be left out. This, this is all hitting me. I, I hope it's not just me. I hope we're taking this to heart. Now, there's a healthy fear. Right? You got a rabid dog out in the street with rabies running around biting kids, and your kids are out there. That's a healthy fear. But there's a lot of stuff that we worry about, like I said before, that never even comes true. And we worry about it and worry about it and worry about it. In Psalm 107, verse 6, it says, Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them out of their distresses, and He led them forth by the right way. What's the key? Cry out to the Lord. Why is it that we try to do it in our own strength, and at the last minute we cry out to God? We got this thing in our head where we just talk to God over the big things. Is our big things big things to God? Oh, I don't bother God with the little things. Really? I think everything in your life is little to God. It may be big to you, but uh, hello, Creator, heaven, the earth, all the solar systems, universe, hello. Oh, but He can't fix my marriage. Really? You know what happens to me? It's the little things that take me out. Because the big stuff, and maybe this is you too, when the big stuff's going on in my life, whoo, I'm on my face, I'm crying out, there's tears, there's snot flowing out my, I'm a mess. And then when something little comes up, I go, oh Lord, I got this, just go to lunch, I got this. I'm not going to bother you with this. And that's what takes me out. And then the Lord comes up and he goes, well, how'd that go for you, Steve-o? <laughs> come here. Come, come here, little buddy. Let's do it my way. I'm pouring my heart out to you guys. This is me. So I, I worry about what I teach every week because God allows me to experience everything that I teach every week. So there's certain books I don't want to go to. How's this one? Psalm 34, 4. I sought the Lord and He heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Oh, that's good. I hope you're writing these down. If you're not, watch it again on the website later and write these. These are You've got to post these up all over your house. Let me see that one again. I sought the Lord and He heard me and He delivered me from all my fears. Praise the Lord. Hebrews 13, 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content, which what things you have. For He Himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. 
what can man do to me? And so he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And realize that whatever you're going through, it's for your own growth. He goes on to say, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Do you have the peace of God? Now, we all have peace with God as believers. But not all Christians have the peace of God. We have it as believers, peace with God. Because Romans 5.1 tells us, wherefore we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That means before you came to know Jesus Christ, you were an alien. You were an enemy of God. Hello, sorry, that's what it says you are. Jesus even said to the Pharisees, you're of your father, the devil. You're either for him, against him. There's no fence riding. You're either on one side or the other. It's that simple. And when we gave our life to Jesus Christ, we now have peace with God. We used to be enemies of God. But now we have peace. Why? He looks at your doorpost. He sees Jesus, his son's blood over your doorpost, the lamb. And he says, oh, okay, one of mine. And he chooses to love you with the same love that he has for his son, Jesus Christ. That blows my mind. But here's the thing. We all have, as believers, peace with God. Why? We're no longer enemies. We're part of the family. But we don't all have the peace of God, and God wants you to have the peace of God. And the peace of God that he's talking about here that surpasses all understanding is a peace that whenever all hell's breaking loose, everyone's coming against you. Everything looks as dark as it could ever be. You say, Father, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are upon you. Because you said you'd never leave me for, nor forsake me. You said your desires for me are good. And you said you're not taking your eyes off me. And that I'm in your hand and nobody can pluck me out. And so you know what? I'm really kind of excited to see how you handle this. Right? We need this. Especially now more than ever because you know what? This world's coming to an end and he's coming soon. And we need that peace of God. And then he says in verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true. Think about Jesus when we read all this. Whatever things are true, Jesus. Whatever things are noble, Jesus. Whatever things are just, Jesus. Whatever things are pure, Jesus. Whatever things are lovely, oh, Jesus. Whatever things are of good report, Jesus. If there is any virtue if is there anything praiseworthy meditate on these things for these things which you've learned and received and heard and saw in me these do and the god of peace will be with you the god of peace will be with you paul's saying these things that you see in me imitate me paul would say follow me as i follow christ imitate me can you say that can you say that to others imitate me can I say that to you right now? You guys, imitate me. Don't look at me like that because I'm trying to imitate you right now. You know what I'm saying? Can we say that? Paul could say that. I want to be able to say that. 
Imitate me. Follow me as I follow Christ. You want to be able to say that. That's our goal. He talks about these things. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good report. If there is any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. What is he saying? He's that we need to meditate on the Word of God. You want peace? You want to stop worrying? Then you've got to meditate on the Word of God. And you've got to realize the way to fix worry is to pray. Makes it real simple for us. Pray. Let me close with this. God answers everyone's prayer. You're like, he's not answering mine. Oh, he did. You just didn't hear him. I've been praying for this for 20 years. Yeah, I know. He probably said no or not now. But he answered you. Because he loves you. You ever thought about that? Oh, my Lord, I really need that job. I didn't get that job. I can't believe I didn't get that job. I missed out on an opportunity. You're like, oh, man, somebody else got that job. And then you find out six months later, the whole company collapses. You would have been out of a job. Does God know more than you? I love Pastor Chuck used to always tell this story about when he was in college. There was this girl he was in love with. Oh, he's just praying, oh, God, give me her for a wife. Give me her for a wife. Oh, Lord. And he didn't. He was so heartbroken. And then years later, she comes up at one of the services there in Calvary Costa Mesa, and he didn't even recognize her. She had to introduce herself to who she was. And, and then, you know, after the conversation, she walks up, and he just looked up. He said, thank you that you didn't give me to her. <laughs> Make your request be made known. But finish up with not my will, thy will be done. And know this, God always answers your prayers. He says yes, or he says no, or he says not now. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you um, for the reminder, Lord God. Help us to surrender our lives completely to you. Uh, Lord, help us to cast our cares upon you, for you care for us. Lord, love has no fear. Perfect love casts out fear, Lord God. Help us to be reminded of that and just quickly go to you when we worry, Lord God, and cast it at your feet. Lord, I pray blessings upon my brothers and sisters here today, Lord. May you use them mighty and powerfully during the week, Lord, to just spread the gospel. If there's someone here today that doesn't know the Lord, pray this in your heart. Lord, I believe you're who you are. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe that you're the only one that can forgive sin, so forgive me of my sin. And I'm asking you to not only be my Lord, but be my Savior. Save me and give me eternal life. I ask this in Jesus' name. And if you just prayed that in your heart, you're a child of God. Now go live for him. And for the rest of us, Lord, we pray for strength. Lord, we pray for strength and we pray for a humility to not always have to prove that we're right. To humbly come, to, to be more full of grace than full of justice, just like you were. And so, Lord, that's got to be a move of the Holy Spirit. So we ask the Holy Spirit to fill us afresh right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.